My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is to just entertain, to educate, and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Okay. Okay, so it was a little too easy. You can only rally so much on the idea that the economy is slowing, so we don't need to worry as much about the Fed. No wonder we got slammed today. Dow plunging 302 points. Boy, it was much worse at one point. S&P plumbing 1.42%. NASDAQ nosediving 1.91%. Not much bounce there. I mean, it's not like companies can come out and say when they report, okay, we were doing pretty well until the Fed screwed up, but if they get it right, we'll be fine. No, it doesn't work like that. Uh, these companies have to extrapolate from what happened in the last quarter. And when you do that, well, I mean, things look pretty ugly because the progression was so bad. It doesn't matter if the Fed changed its stance right after the quarter ended. That picture, in, uh, well, in rearview mirror still looks hideous, right? Plus, companies love to underpromise in January so they can overdeliver later in the year. So we're not exactly poised for fabulous earnings reports either. Let's set the stage for this decline. The first sign that we were going to get hammered came from oil, which at one point was down almost two bucks. And we know that the oil rally has been, let's just say, part and parcel of the entire rally this year. That matters. You know that there are a ton of hedge funds that rely on computer programs, and those programs are set to sell the whole S&P 500 when oil goes down in price. Now, do not ask me why. The... It's by machine. We know in reality, in rationality, that about 90% of the S&P actually benefits from lower oil prices. So the linkage is surreal. In truth, the programs are trying to measure the health of the global economy, and they use the price of crude to measure it. Whenever there's a whiff of trade deal with China, oil rallies. When a trade deal seems far off, like today, when we first heard reports that the U.S. turned down an offer for preparatory trade talks, though the president's chief economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, came on air and said that's not true. Well, oil gets trashed. Okay. Remember, the stock market hates the trade war. Without a trade deal, there's a widespread belief that the global economy will continue to slow down, which is why oil got hit you. And if you sell oil because you're worried about the global economy, then you should sell the S&P, too. See, there are enough international companies in the average, particularly tech stocks, to bring the whole index down, which is exactly what happened today. Now, if you think the U.S. economy should be insulated from all this pain because we have such strong growth, well, I got some bad news for you. We keep being fooled by these employment numbers. This morning, we got existing home sales for December, and they dropped a staggering 6 Percent, the slowest sales pace since November of 2015. The Mortgage Bankers Association pointed out that existing sales have now decreased for four straight months year over year because of a lack of confidence in the broader economic outlook, because of stock market volatility, and higher mortgage rates. Ouch. And this macro weakness is starting to impact lots of individual companies, including great ones. Great ones like Stanley Black & Decker, the tool company, which reported a decent number, but then gave a horrendous forecast that included a big guy down in large part because of the slowdown in the U.S. housing market. The company added that auto tools were also weak. Oh, it was a jarring call. Worse, the international outlook sure won't let them make it up. 
Just listen to Stanley Black and Decker CEO James Lurie, who told us, and I quote, Holy cow. I love this quote. I think we all know that the European economy has slowed quite a bit. Germany went negative. The U.K. is in chaos and confusion with Brexit. Italy is a disaster. End quote. Amazing the company still made their numbers in Europe, but I don't think that travelogue is it's all that encouraging, frankly. And in this environment, the Fed chose to raise interest rates. Quizzical. This is why I spent months going off on Fed Chief Jay Powell for his tone-deaf attitude and his lack of yes Homework. Homework. I'm going to emphasize that again. Sure, the model said that Stanley Black and Decker should be doing fabulously based on employment, but my homework told a different story. And the company agreed with me. No wonder the stock plunged more than $21 today. Jay Powell, that's homework. Now, normally on a day like this one, we'd see money flow into the much more stable pharmaceutical companies, right? They don't need, they have no cyclicality. But not today. Why? Because Johnson Johnson chose to give a conservative forecast that shocked investors and reversed the nascent rally that had been budding just over the end of last week. So there was no safety in the safety stocks. In the case of J&J, you know what? I think the company was setting a lower bar, so it has some breathing room. In fact, I bet management was underpromising so that they can over-deliver later this year, which is what we told members of the ActionLearnsPlus.com club, because this is what we come to expect from J&J. I saw nothing that would tell me not to buy the stock. Buy, 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 buy. Still, it was like a pincer movement with the bears hitting us from both hand tools and pharma, leaving an enormous amount of collateral damage and everything from Home Depot and Lowe's to Allergan and Bristol-Myers. So what do we make of all this? I think there'll be a rush of traders trying to take profits starting today, betting that we'll have some sort of retest based on the damage the Fed has already done to the economy by raising rates into a slowdown, not to mention the troubled trade talks with China or the hammering of Stanley Black and Decker and J&J. In this environment, now look, I think you may want to wait before you buy anything uh, other than the stocks of companies that have already reported much better than expected quarters. Now that they're coming back to earth, you get a second chance. Now, we have had a huge run here off the bottom, right up about 13% until coming in today. So it's natural that money managers will want to take something off the table. You know, go down 19.8%, go back up 13%. That's a nice gain. The only counter, better earnings. Better earnings like we got tonight from IBM, which promised to stabilize margins, grow revenues for the full year, and hit a full year earnings per share target of $13.80 when it spoke last. And you know what? It did all three. And then some. And I think it's positive news, which could send the stock soaring in. It's already sending the stock soaring in after hours. But I think it could have legs beyond its core competence. That's right. I think there will be pin action off this bold, terrific name. And by the way, if we hear something good about Red Hat, it's going to reawake the cloud kings, which are all bad today. Because of IBM and the strength of financial last week, I think you need to be careful about how much you sell. Because I doubt that retest theory that I heard all day. Now, there are way too many stocks of high-quality companies that are still way below their 52-week highs, and after today are a lot closer to 52-week lows, and I don't think those levels will get taken out. However, I understand the dilemma. How can the CEO of an industrial company tell a good story when the global economy is indeed slowing, including the United States, and their business is being hurt by a strong dollar, as well as tight-fisted Federal Reserve? How can executives go out and tell us not to worry uh, when even Johnson Johnson sounded a little worried? The bottom line. To me, this is one of those moments where you have to figure out if you can thread the needle. Are you nimble enough to sell now and buy back a few percentage points lower, like a, just a Jim Dandy hedge fund? If so, go ahead, you have my blessing. 
But if you don't believe you can swap out and then swap back in a little bit lower, I think it's okay to wait patiently here and then do some buying at lower levels. Hey, I want to go to Nancy in New Jersey. Nancy! Hello, Jim. Happy New Year. Same. Um, I've got some questions. Um, I'm a retired teacher after 37 years. So I've got a Roth IRA, and I'm a lucky person because I also have a pension. Um, The reason for my call is this. Um, I bought GE as part of my Roth IRA. Mm -hmm. And, well, you see what GE is today. And um, so in general, how much does a stock's value have to decline before you sell it? No, or no, you, no. You know, we're not going to sell. In the hopes that we'll recover. No, we, 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 you know, Nancy, first I feel bad because GE has really crushed people. Um, but I, I, uh, I think the time to sell GE is past. You got a great CEO in there, Larry Culp. He's got a real plan to, to get things back in action. Uh, you're, you know, I would rather be a buyer than a seller of the General Electric Corporation. Why don't we go to Louise in North Carolina? Louise! Hello, Jim in North Carolina. Glad to talk to you. Oh, Luis, I'm, what's uh, up? Calling about, um, calling about Editas Medicine, Symbol Edit. Great company with fantastic technology. It's a gene correction or editing technology right. to fix your disease by going into your genes. But today, the stock crater 20% down on the on, uh, expected news that the CEO is leaving the company. Yeah. So the question is... Um, for the home gamer like me, should I stay? Should I go? What do you do in a situation like this? Well, you know, I, I, I don't like it when the CEO just steps down like that. I saw that. I was watching a couple of these stories because my friend Adam Forestine is following some of these uh, tech biotechs today. So I've been keeping a close eye on them. That, look, that is, I mean, down five. I, you know what? That stock's probably going lower. That was quite unexpected. Uh, it, and by the way, definitely worrisome. Okay. Look, I think we're going to see a rush of profit taking that environment. Uh, maybe IBM runs counter to that, but you, yeah, I think you, you can wait to buy anything other than the stocks that have already reported great quarters that went up a lot and are finally coming back down. That's what I would circle around and do some buying. Be careful how much you sell, please, right now. I don't think things are nearly as bad as so many are saying, particularly in Davos. Hey, man, money did not in Davos. I'm eyeing the latest data and telling you what, if anything, it means for American companies. Macro to micro. Then get your passport. I'm going over the wall tonight when I pick the fundamentals against the technical suits. What's happening in China? China. Whole new edition of the charts. You keep asking about Chinese stocks. I keep saying no. I found a guy who likes them. It seems investors have pressed pause on the video game stocks, though. How is that impacting a company like Logitech, which is at the heart of it? I'm talking to the CEO after earnings. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. On a day where stocks got crushed, in part because of some really hideous Chinese data, the House of Pain. It's worth asking what these big macro numbers actually mean for America and for your portfolio. Yesterday, we got two figures that were pretty ugly. The IMF 
the International Monetary Fund, cut its global growth forecast from 3.7% to 3.5%. And China's GDP growth for 2018 came in just under, uh, just at 6.6%. That's the lowest number uh, since 1990, as I said at the top. Meanwhile, this is a staggering thing. Chinese unemployment rose from 4.8% to 4.9%. Keep in mind, those are the official numbers. We We have lower unemployment than they do. Now, the IMS managing director, Christine Lagarde, made, it think, made things really crystal clear when she said, and I quote, the world's economy is growing more slowly than expected and risks are rising, end quote. She blamed the slowdown in Europe, which is tied to the massive amount of business that Europe does with China. And China can't help because American companies are scrambling to move their manufacturing from the People's Republic to just about anywhere else so they can get out of, ahead of the upcoming tariff increase from 10 to 25 percent, which I, you know, you don't get to any sort of trade talks going to happen. Chinese economy is in lousy shape, much worse than the conventional wisdom would ever let you believe, even as I've been pointing out that China's a paper tiger for months now. Now, this weaker global economy hasn't meant much to our unemployment rate yet, which continues to stay very low because of the rapid decline of immigration and because of the tax cut. Second, though, the current situation has led to a stronger dollar, which makes life more difficult for U.S.-based companies that do a lot of business overseas. We heard that on Johnson Johnson's call today. Third, in response to these macro figures, money managers are fleeing to the defensive stocks. Although it didn't work <laughs> that well because J&J gave us some not-so-hot guidance, including some worries about the dollar. And I think that does create a great buying opportunity. But boy, do I have, am I ever alone on that one. Fourth, these ugly macro numbers don't explain the real weakness in our economy, which is in housing. Housing something that's almost entirely domestic. Home prices got unaffordable. Mortgage rates spiked, creating a backlog. And now that prices are coming back down, the whole industry is rolling over. The hideous guidance from Stanley Black and Decker really drove that point home like a nail gun to the forehead. I am worried about housing. Rates have to stay low. More importantly, what do these weak macro numbers mean for the Fed? I think this bad data matters to us because it will have to impact the mind of Fed Chief Jay Powell at a certain point. Remember, all he ever says is, I don't see it, but they see it. Well, if Powell factors in international weakness in his calculations, along with the housing weakness, there's a very solid case for refusing to raise interest rates any further the whole year. Now, if we do get a trade deal with China and rates stay low, this market could roar higher, at which point our economy could handle a couple more rate hikes. I'm cool with that. But for now, you have to hope Powell continues to exercise patience and looks at what happened today in the stock market. Either way, I figure the weakness in China will make it easier for President Trump to get an advantageous trade deal. At a certain point, it's cheaper for the Chinese to just change their policy and stop making it easy for for their companies to steal American intellectual property. I bet their government is actually right now trying to find a way to show us they'll respect our IP and let our companies operate independently in China. A sticking point Larry Kudlow, the president's chief economic advisor, made today, even as he denied on our air, that there is any cancellation of behind-the-scenes talking ahead of the bigger confab. Look, it's not a perfect solution for the People's Republic, but considering what the tariffs are doing to their economy, hey, you know what? They may not have a choice. That said, at the moment, we have no trade deal and ugly data about the world economy, which means the Federal Reserve should be a lot less likely to raise interest rates in the near future, but it also causes action like we saw in the market. It is just too dangerous, and even Jay Powell knows it, which is why if we get more good numbers like we got tonight from IBM, we could get back on track after a couple of speed bumps but we don't want to lose the Fed when it comes to no raising of rates. Okay, much more mad money at concerns over trade in China hampered markets today, but are there things, maybe there's some signs, some signs that could be changing for the People's Republic. 
I'm eyeing what's ahead in tonight's off the charts. It's going to blow you away. Because, well, I don't want to tell you, but it is amazing. Then, Logitech just beat earnings estimates thanks to the strong growth in its gaming hardware business. Yes, eSports. So is it game one for the company, which reported better than expected quarter? I'm talking to the CEO. And the PC powerhouse known as Dell has returned to the public markets, and you've heard virtually nothing about it. That changes tonight. Should you consider investing in the stock? Don't make a move before hearing my take. And stay with Kramer. On a nasty day for the averages, where the whole market got slammed thanks to worries about a worldwide slowdown. A slowdown driven in part by the awful Chinese economy. I think it's worth considering the other side of the trade. We just got some hideous China numbers. Chinese GDP grew at 6.6% clip. Now, I got to tell you, that may sound like a lot, right? But that's actually, get this, it is their slowest growth since 1990. Keep in mind, these are the official government sanction numbers. For all we know, the reality is even worse. In the fourth quarter, China's consumer spending, factory activity, and car sales slowed substantially. We know that the trade war has been truly terrible for the People's Republic. They have an export-driven economy, so when the United States hits these exports with tariffs, it really does hurt. Perhaps worst of all, this is a no-win situation for China. Either they make concessions to President Trump and open their markets, which will make many of their domestic companies vulnerable to American competition, or they maintain the status quo and continue to get devastated by the tariffs. How can the Chinese get out of this box? So if you're investing in Chinese stocks, I think you had pretty lousy performers here. I mean, when was the last time we heard any positive news about China's economy? Their stocks must be in a total house of pain, right? house of pain. Hold it. Do you know that in reality, many high-profile Chinese stocks seem to have bottomed months ago? Now, maybe it was this kind of bottom, but it's bottom. They all pretty much got slammed today terribly, but they're still up substantially from the lows in return. I have to tell you, in the recent dips, that turned out to be buying opportunities. Again, this is just looking at the chart. I am not recommending any Chinese stocks. I will actually reiterate that point later in the show again. For those of you who are scratching your heads here, wondering how the heck these Chinese plays have been trading higher in this environment, allow me to answer your question by going off the charts with the help of Dan Fitzpatrick, old friend, brilliant technician, president founder of StockMarketMentor.com, as well as being my colleague at RealMoney.com, which is where I blog for the street. Fitzpatrick has a really interesting thesis. He thinks the current weakness is already priced into many of the largest, highest-profile Chinese stocks. Looking at the charts, he believes they've already bottomed. They're not going to take that bottom out, which means dips like the one we had today, which you could call it a cliff dip, should be treated as buying opportunities. Again, this is very against the grain. Before we get into specific examples, let me explain his idea. How can the stocks of the big Chinese companies turn around even when China's economy seems to be deteriorating? Simple. That's how bottoms actually work. It's always how they work. The stock market is a forecasting machine. It's always trying to predict the future, usually about six to nine months out. Occasionally it gets it wrong, but that's what its job is. So by the time we get the latest data out of the Chinese economy or our own economy, I think, well, it should already be baked into most stock prices. That means if you just look at your screen, it tells you nothing. 
We saw the flip side of this phenomenon in the fourth quarter. Here in the U.S., the big picture economic data, like the unemployment rate, was downright fabulous. But the whole market got obliterated because investors were worried about the future after Fed Chief Jay Powell promised a series of lockstep rate hikes in October. His model said he had to do it. Powell and his defenders seemed baffled as the stock market plunged because the data they were looking at remained so positive. No homework beyond that data. Market will almost, market will almost always peak before the economy peaks. It will almost always bottom before the economy bottoms. And that's what Fitzpatrick predicting with some of the better Chinese stocks. And these are stocks that I have disdained. I admit I've been pretty right. I mean, I, I caught this much. Huh? That's what you kind of wanted to avoid, right? All right. Consider this is the daily chart at JD.com. It's the big Chinese e-commerce play with a stock that got crushed. It's down almost 7%. Despite today's weakness, you know, when we went back to him and back to him, you know that Fitzpatrick thinks that JD.com just completed a totally viable double bottom at $20 per share. And at $20, look at this. There you go, $20 bottom. And that's still, still holding up with the stock at $21.68. It didn't get taken out today. He thought that was very important. Uh, Now, earlier this month, JD.com broke out above its 50-day moving average, and that floor held even during today's hideous sell-off. To Fitzpatrick, this is a sign that JD.com is ready to run. But the real strength here is in the moving average convergence divergence, or the MACD. Okay, look at this. Uh, Technicians use that to detect changes in stock trajectory before they happen, not coincidental. Fitz points out that this thing has been surging higher since September. Okay, look at this. It's actually been going up. Even as this has been going down, uh, that's not so bad. That's what technicians call a positive divergence. It means the MACD is signaling that JD.com has a lot more upside here. It is certainly bottom. There's no doubt about it. Okay? Still, Fitzpatrick says that the stock is kind of caught in the middle of no man's land right now. JD.com has floor support around 21, right below where it's currently trading, but also got a ceiling at 24 where the stock peaked earlier this month. Fitzpatrick thinks that JD.com could be stuck in this no man's land for a while. And if the stock pulls back any lower, it could stay stuck down there for a while. However, if JD.com can break out above 24, and he believes it can, then he thinks you could have a lot of easy upside. In fact, once JD.com rallies past 24, Fitzpatrick says it could quickly tackle on another 20% in short order, rallying to around 29, which is roughly where the longer-term 200-day moving average will be in a few weeks. He thinks you should wait for that breakout. And if it happens, that's when you pounce. I don't know. You know me. I like lower stocks. I don't like to buy them higher. But this is a really interesting thesis on a company that, frankly, I'd given up on. Let's tackle another. The chart of YY Daily, please. Chinese streaming entertainment provider, kind of like the Chinese uh, Netflix slash social network. Now, just like JD.com, YY stock got crushed last year. Uh, before forming a double bottom pattern. See, here we are again over the course of the fourth quarter. Now, the stock is trading above its 50-day moving average again, even after today's bloodbath. It saw the stock sink nearly 7%. Right now, YY is trading at 68 and change. Fitzpatrick likes it as long as it holds above the 50-day moving average, which is in red. Now, the stock is a ceiling at about 70. Uh, at about, uh, but it can, if it can break out above that, Fitzpatrick thinks it's smooth sailing to 85. So it takes out this, goes to that. Bottom line, after today's brutal, in part, China-driven sell-off around the world, it's worth considering whether some of these Chinese stocks may be in better shape than you'd expect or that I think. 
The charts as interpreted by Dan Fitzpatrick suggest that the best of breed China Internet companies like YY and JD.com may have already bottomed, although Fitz says you should wait for more of a breakout before you start buying either stock. I don't know if he's right, and I don't recommend buying any Chinese stocks because of the trade turmoil. But when just about everyone's negative on a particular group, it's always worth giving the other side of the trade some serious consideration. That's what I like. I love the seriousness of what they're up to there. <laughs> hey, how about Chris in New York? Chris! Mr. Kramer, booyah. Yes. Booyah, Chris, what's up? Long time, first time. My oh, condolences great. on your eagle, sir. Well, you know what? We could have beaten you to one of those two teams yesterday. But go ahead. <laughs> All right, my question is about Alibaba. It's Alibaba. comparable stock to Amazon. In my belief, who will be ruling the world at one point eventually? How do you feel about Alibaba? If and you, you had to own a Chinese stock, sir, if you had it on a chi- first time, long time, if you had it on a Chinese stock, that would be the one I would say. I would buy it in calls. I wouldn't. I usually don't recommend that. Not common. Uh, there's a lot of uh, upside. If we do a trade deal, that stock could go up 40, 50 points. Let's go to John in Oregon, where my daughter lives. John. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. My dad is looking for a good company to buy when things are real cheap. We've both been interested in United States Steel for a while. I was wondering what your thoughts are on it. It was around 17. Okay, on it caught a key downgrade today. The downgrade was very compelling. It brought the whole group down. That left me with Nucor back to 57, still well off at $70 high. Best in show, 2.7% yield, very good dividend. Go buy yourself some Nucor, N-U-E. All right, today's sell-off may have largely been driven by China worries, but it's still worth considering whether some of the best of breed Chinese stocks may have already bottomed. Holy cow. What's where we have money in? What's the next logical move for Logitech? I'm talking with the CEO after earnings to find out what's ahead. Better than expected quarter, by the way. Then, dude, you're getting a Dell at a discount. But does that still mean it's worth buying? I'm eyeing the company now that's publicly traded once again. And all your calls for rapid fire. Tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. The global esports industry is on fire with companies and investors eyeing the budding billion-dollar space. Gangbusters' demand for gaming gear helped power results at Logitech, prompting the company to raise its guidance. But can Logitech continue to win market share? At the end of last year, we saw a major meltdown in all things technology. And many of these tech stocks are still down dramatically from their highs. Take Logitech International, the maker of computer peripherals like keyboards and mice, along with headphones, mobile speakers, remote controls, and expensive high-end gaming equipment. When Logitech reported in October delivering a good but not perfect quarter, the stock got obliterated. Today, Logitech reported again another very good, not perfect set of numbers, and the darn thing barely got any bounce because this was such a hand session. Not only did the company deliver a 13-cent earnings beat off a 66-cent basis with higher-than-expected sales, management also raised their operating income forecast for 2019. Maybe with this IBM number after the close, it could help. I don't know. Again, it wasn't perfect. Logitech missed Wall Street's estimates in three of its nine product categories, mobile speakers, gaming, and smart home. Still, there's a lot going right here, and the stock has pulled back nearly 30% over the past six months. I think it's been punished enough, but don't take it from me. Let's check in with Bracken Darrell, the president and CEO of Logitech International. Get a better sense of the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Dow, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Thanks so much for having me. 
Bracken, first, I got to tell you, before we had this session start, your stock was up very big. I think people were reacting to the fact that you had some amazing gaming numbers and that it seems like it's pretty worldwide. Yeah, I mean, we, we really had a strong quarter. You know, we were up 8% overall. Our biggest three categories representing 75% of our business were, were all up double digits. And as you said, our profit numbers were up uh, 22%. So we had a very strong quarter. In the uh, conference call, you said, you kind of threw it out there, right? but esports is destined to be the world's largest spectator sport. Explain that. Well, I, I totally believe this. You know, I, one of these days I'm going to come on your show with a chalkboard. I'm going to draw a picture. But if I did draw that picture, what you would see is that if you're under the age of 25, you're so into to gaming relative to regular sport, any single regular sport. And so those people are now watching, uh, watching uh, e they're spectators of esports online. And in fact, more people are watching people play esports online than are watching CNN, Netflix, ESPN, or HBO combined. So those people are going to grow up. And as they grow up and they have kids, it's, it's going to get bigger and bigger. Now, we know that uh, EA, Electronic Arts, Activision Blizzard, they disappointed, take two not. But maybe we have to be thinking about Fortnite and the 80 million people. Maybe that's what's taken over and it's not a craze, it's for real. Uh, you know, I, I think Fortnite's absolutely for real. You know, we always believed that there would be game titles that would come in as this esports rise happened and explode. And for the first five, six years I was here, we didn't see that. We saw a steady, strong increase by League of Legends and Overwatch and the, and the, the games that are already out there. But Fortnite's the first one to come in and really explode onto the scene. And I think there will be others. All right. Now, I do want to talk about, uh, in the fall, I haven't seen you since this, the, the, there were news reports that were said that you were mulling, buying Plantronics for $2.2 billion. I, I felt that it was superfluous given what you already have in the category. So is the story true, and did it even make sense? You know, we, we look at, really, Jim, we look at so many acquisitions every year, probably 100-plus. None of them ever make it into the press unless we happen to do one. This one did get into the press. We were having discussions. We had to confirm it by law, by Swiss law. We're a Swiss company. Um, so we were having discussions. You know, we, we, the advantage we saw there was we, we like the categories they're in and we like the complementarity with our existing video conferencing business. But it wasn't meant to be. Fair enough. Uh, you talked about mitigation actions because you have a lot of, of, of uh, equipment that comes from China. You even talked about relocation of manufacturing. Can you tell people what that's like? Because I got a feeling that one of the reasons why the Chinese economy has cooled so much is because of relocation of manufacturing. Yeah, you know, we're, we're, a, uh, we're an expert in relocating manufacturing. We make about half what we sell, but the other half we, we, we have somebody make, and it's usually somewhere in China. So we're used to moving between our own factory and somebody else's factory. This is a very common thing for us. So part of our mitigating actions has been to move some of our manufacturing uh, out of China, and we are doing that. But, but this is a system where it's a tried-and-true process for us. All right. Now, speakers seem disappointing to me. I, I love your speakers, the Bluetooth speakers. Category got too competitive? You know, at the end of the day, the, the Bluetooth speakers category went on a, just a tear for four or five years in a row. And so now it's finally crested and, and it's declining. But the good news about us, Jim, is we have this portfolio, and it ex, it's an expanding portfolio. So just like an investor can have a portfolio of categories, 
our secular growth or our growth across the aggregation of that portfolio continues to be very strong, 8% this quarter. And we can manage the volatility within either any of these single categories like Bluetooth speakers. And so it's, it's actually, I love the strength of the portfolio as a way to live in a world where you have multiple categories and you have multiple dynamics in those categories. Now, in the conference, someone uh, talked about the notion of that you had negative organic growth if you back out a new product for Americas. It didn't seem like you disagree with that. It just seemed like that you were saying that the compares were difficult. Yeah, they were talking about the U.S. alone, and what I said was, our compare in the U.S., actually a year ago in the U.S., we had 50% growth in Bluetooth speakers and 30% growth overall. So that compare, you know, we, if you back out the, uh, the acquisition, the organic growth would be negative, but the two-year growth would still be 14 15%. So it's not, we're, not, we're not worried about our AMR business or America business. All right, one last question. We go back to uh, full circle to eSports. Do you see an era where we will have many, many students – from the get-go, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, trying to be good at this so they can get NCA scholarships across the board. I absolutely see it, and I think you're going to see it sooner than anybody thinks. There are already uh, some colleges starting to entertain and offer uh, scholarships for esports athletes, and it's going to grow like wildfire. So this is going to be a very big trend. Well, I completely agree with you, and I. I think that today was an unfortunate day to report because the market got hammered or else your stock would have been up big. I want to thank Brack and Daryl, CEO of Logitech. Great to see you, sir. It's great to see you, Jim. Thanks so much. All right. Look, the, the company had a, a, had a tough day to report. It wasn't a tough quarter. Bad Money's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the and then the light round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? It's over the light round. Because we're with Joe in Illinois. Joe. Booyah, Jim. Nice. Joe Marzano from the Windy City. How you doing today? I'm doing well. How about you? Very good, my friend. Helping us make money here in the Windy City. Just had a quick question on... Down 780 today, NVIDIA. Yeah, you know what? I think NVIDIA is trying to bottom here. Remember, 40% of it is gaming related, but wow, that stock's almost been cut in half. I am willing to say, if you want to start a small position in NVIDIA, I bless it. Let's go to Craig in New Jersey. Craig! Booyah, Jim Kramer. Booyah. Craig, from your backyard in Chile, Morris County, New Jersey. Oh, close enough. Absolutely. What's going on? Thanks for taking my call, Jim. My pleasure. I'm a holder of Ligand Pharmaceuticals, symbol LGND. Oh, Last you're week, a bit of a risk taker there, my friend. That's a risky stock. Uh, I don't know. It makes a little money, but uh, I have to tell you, I, I don't like the trend. I think the stock can go still lower. I'd be very careful there. Let's go to Chris in Colorado. Chris! This is Colorado Chris, Jim. I have right. a question on my stock is EIX. The competitor seems to be bringing it down. What should I do? I don't want to invest in anything in California uh, when it comes to utility. I don't need. It. I don't need the. Uh, I don't need the aggravation. I don't want. I want. If I do utilities, I want to have. I want to sleep at night. I'm going to power and Con Ed. They let me sleep at night. By the way, Dominion downgraded today. I thought that was an opportunity. Let's go to Ralph in Washington. Ralph. Hi, Jim. This Ralph. is Ralph here. All right. Want to know should I continue buying ARCB? I like motor carrier transport, but I do prefer J.B. Hunt, which had a very good quarter, by the way. J.B. Hunt's doing very, very well. I wish we could own shares in Uber Freight, but J.B. Hunt may be the way. Let's go to Dennis in New Jersey. Dennis. 
Hi, Jim. How are you? I am good. How about you? Very well, thanks. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Uh, the stock I wanted to ask about um, is from your old stomping grounds. It's ISBC. Uh, investor Savings. I've done a lot of business with them. Actually owned a bunch of shares in bank that got acquired by them many, many years ago. Yeah, when Brian Moynihan was talking about he's the CEO of Bank of America, about many more banks combining, I immediately thought about investors. That said, New Jersey, tough state. Not a great state for business. And the banks have already had a big move. I'm going to hold off on that one. Betty in Michigan. Betty. Hi, Jim. Booyah to you. Thank Booyah. you for taking my call. Of course. Um, L.B. Merrill. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, you know, we got a big, you know, we got a big downgrade last week. I read the downgrade over and I agree with it. I don't want to try. I think that the cycle is a little over for this one. Let's avoid this stock, but let's not avoid more calls. Kathy in Indiana. Kathy. Hey, Kramer. How you doing? I am doing well, Kathy. How about you? I'm doing good, Kramer. This is my fourth call, and I appreciate you taking my calls. Fourth we, call. You are coaching three generations of my family. That's what I want. And I got to tell you, Kramer, investing sparks conversation that brings these three generations together like I haven't seen before. I and agree. It's neutral. Go ahead. It's, it's great. And we learn about the world, too, at the same time. So it's great. It's a, look at that. Okay. Uh, my, my question, Kramer, tonight is about Microsoft. Now, back several weeks ago, I trimmed my position, which was good to do at the time. But I think I might have trimmed a little bit too much. Yeah, don't I'm tell looking, anymore. I'm Satya looking. Nadella is doing a great job. We did the same thing at Action for the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. We sold, we told people to sell some, but we're done selling. I think Satya should deliver great numbers. Actually, one of the best in show. I need you to, and thank you for a fourth call. Thank you for those kind comments. Let's go to Cesar in California. I'm sorry, Kathy, well, Kathy in California. Kathy. Hey, Jim Kramer. Happy New Year. Oh, same. <laughs> I scaled into KMB in 2010. Okay. After a few years, I had 100% profit, so I took my initial investment off the table and let the rest ride. Okay. Over the years, I bought more on the dips, but even with my dividends reinvested, none of my gains are beating my index fund even. So right. it seems like it's time to scale out of KMB. You know what? You don't have much time. They report Jan 23rd, which took to me like tomorrow. Uh, and we'll see the number, uh, 3.4% yield. You'll be protected. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Dude, you're getting a Dell. Yep, at the very end of last year, Dell Technologies finally completed its months-long process of returning to the public markets. So what do we do with it? This question is more confusing than it seems. While Dell itself is a household name, it's been private for the past five years, and it just came public again through a really bizarre process that's difficult to fathom. Although you could also own it via tracking stock for a while, which makes the whole thing kind of even more confusing. I actually like Dell here. I think the stock is too cheap to ignore. But before I get into my reasons, we need to catch up on what's been going on here. The Dell technologies that started trading again late last year is very different from the Dell that came private, went private in 2013, back when the personal computer business was down in the dumps. For starters, in 2016, the company acquired one of my old favorites. EMC, a major player in enterprise hardware and software for $67 billion. Overnight, Dell went from being a boring PC play to an enterprise kingpin. Plus, EMC also gave them a controlling interest, and this is probably the most important reason why I like it, in VMware, which is a major cloud infrastructure play and one of our cloud kings. 
We had Sanjay Poonin on just the other day. What a great story that is. Now, when the EMC deal closed, Dell changed its name to Dell Technologies. They created a new tracking stock, which traded under the symbol DVMT. And this is where things get really confusing. Over the course of last year, Dell explored several different ways to actually come public. There was a lot of drama here. Dell offered to pay cash or new common stock for its tracking stock. A group of shareholders led by Carl Icahn agitated for a higher price, which they ultimately got. Now, all of that drama is a thing of the past, thank heavens. When Dell started trading on December 28th, the one that you can go buy, it opened at 46 quickly took off by January 2nd, $49 stock. Since then, it's pulled back to $44.06. So what do we make of the stock here? First of all, Dell is no longer just to make of personal computers. They have a big PC business, but the EMC acquisition makes this a far more diversified company with a lot more enterprise exposure, which we like. Key divisions are client solutions. The old Dell that makes computers and monitors and peripherals infrastructure solutions, which is also about data center infrastructure. We like that. Think servers, racks, blades, all sorts of storage and software solutions. But finally, there's VMware, Dell's Cloud King subsidiary, of which they own 82%. Put it all together. And the new Dell Technologies has a lot going for it. When Dell took itself private in 2013, it was a boring commodity PC maker. Now Dell is one-stop shop for nearly all your corporate information technology needs, which market-leading positions and a host of product categories is a good advisor to. Yep, the new Dell is all about enterprise spending on hardware and software, which I think, I think, is in secular growth mode. Keep that in mind for what I'm about to tell you. In the latest quarter, Dell's infrastructure solutions group, the corporate IT business, grew at an 18% clip. The client solutions group, PCs, grew nearly 11%. And VMware remains fabulous with sales up more than 15%. That's a lot to like, although it's not worth it, it, Yeah, I got to tell you, it's worth noting that the broader PC business actually declined by 4.3% worldwide in the fourth quarter. Plus, there's still upside from the integration of the EMC deal. The new Dell Technologies isn't quite finished knitting itself into a single integrated business. That's good for you. And as the process goes on, the company has a real opportunity to improve its gross margins. Now, on the other hand, let's go over some cons. Best bearish argument? Man, what a balance sheet. Hideous. Not only did the company borrow a fortune to take itself private, then borrowed even more to pay for EMC, and then still more to retire its tracking stock. Now Dell has roughly $34 billion of net debt. That's too much. Now a lot of it doesn't uh, come due uh, for five years. So, well, there's some real refinancing risk here, but also you have to admit that's a long-term consideration, five years, so maybe we shouldn't be that concern, but you know I don't like that much debt. The larger concern here is that we may be near the end of the technology investment cycle. Now, I'm not saying that's definitely the case, because as I mentioned, I think the spend is far more secular, meaning it's going to go like this, than cyclical like this. But it is a real perception risk for just about any tech stock at this point. We've been saying, uh, you know, look, we've had several years of elevated technology spending, especially from corporate customers who've been moving aggressively to the cloud. That spending got a major boost last year from the tax cut. But now we've annualized tax reform. So executives may be less willing to shell out large sums of money to upgrade their IT infrastructure. Although, again, I think that spend is imperative for companies to keep up with their competitors. Meanwhile, we know the personal computer industry went into decline in the fourth quarter. Although it's possible that weakness was temporary. A pretty good year last year for PCs. Spending might pick up again now that the Federal Reserve has eased up on its plans to raise interest rates. Still, if you want to own Dell, you need to consider the possibility of a tech slowdown. Finally, maybe the biggest issue with Dell is about corporate governance. The company may be publicly traded again, but that doesn't mean public shareholders will have any influence on how the business is run. Dell Technologies remains firmly under the control of Michael Dell, the founder, chairman, and CEO, and his private equity backers at Silverlight. Michael Dell owns 55% of the company all by himself. 
All the common stock shareholders combined only own 22%. They can appoint just one board member. You have to rely on Michael Dell to care about uh, Michael Dell. Uh, well, uh, he's got to deliver good numbers for himself. I like his style. I like his strategy. I'm not thrilled that he has basically a younger state going on there when it comes to shareholder voting. All that said, I think the positives here do outweigh the negatives for one very simple reason. Dell Technology stock is dirt cheap at these levels. Companies expect to earn $6.51 per share this year, maybe another similar number next year, and then $7.63 in 2021. That means Dell is trading at less than six times 2021 fiscal year earnings estimates, which is insane given that historically Michael Dell's been a pretty good steward of his investments. By comparison, Hewlett Packard sells at 10 times those forward earnings. At these levels, I think the negatives are mostly baked in here and the positives are not. Something that's even more obvious when you consider that Dell's stock actually managed to rally today, even as the rest of the market crumbled. And believe it or not, I think there'll be people who think about this like they do IBM and take it up again tomorrow. Now, Michael Dell will be on Squawk Box. He's at Davos tomorrow morning. I think it could be very exciting. Bottom line, now that Dell Technology is publicly traded again, I recognize the company is far from perfect. But that darn stock is too cheap to ignore. You know what it is? It's a buy, buy, buy. Stick with Kramer. Important. This morning, Elliott Management took a big position in eBay and talked about the idea that it should be split up and bring out some value. If you own eBay, please do not sell it. If you do not own it, you might want to consider it. I think the unlocking value may be worth as much as $50 for this $33 stock, and I want you in there. I'm doing more work on it, but so far my work verifies what Elliott is saying about so many divisions that I think it looks like a very attractive, limited downside situation, eBay, which I have not liked for a very long time. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.